Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As we celebrate National Marriage Week and St. Valentine's Day, this week's episode of Truth and Charity focuses on the mystery of marriage. Bishop Rhodes offers guidance for couples on things like the importance of recalling one's wedding day, being open to God's grace, the definition of true sacrificial love, as well as why forgiveness and apologies are essential for a successful marriage. Bishop then offers the insights of St. Pope John Paul II and other saints and what makes a marriage special and long-lasting. Then it's on to listener-submitted questions on marriage validation, CYO sports, and whether or not there will be food in heaven. If you have a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future episode, just go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You'll get an email letting you know your question has been received or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Ask Your Questions. While there, check out the audio library to listen to any previous episode of Truth and Charity. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you for being here again, Bishop, taking some time out of your schedule. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Kyle. Tomorrow is the Feast of St. Valentine. A lot of people call it Valentine's Day. Did you buy a gift for your wife yet? Well, I'm not going to (laughs) say. Because she might be listening. It's a surprise. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for the reminder. Okay. okay. Yeah, don't forget. (laughs) So in the spirit of Valentine's Day, I know one of the things that you do regularly is celebrate these uh, memorial anniversaries that you do with people thought maybe we could talk about marriage and some of the things that you talk about at some of these. Oh yeah. Usually in the fall, every year I have uh, special masses to celebrate wedding anniversaries couples. I always like that because it's an opportunity to thank them for their witness, but also to celebrate significant anniversaries, 25th, 40th, 50th. I've had people celebrate 70th wedding anniversary. Really neat. Yeah. Yeah. 
I hope you remember your wedding anniversary, your wedding day. We just celebrated our 10th. Oh, really? Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be your number one advice for married couples or maybe engaged couples? Basically, never take each other for granted Hmm. and to constantly be renewed in your love. I'll say this often to to young to couples uh, about thinking back to their wedding day, and um, sometimes the thinking back to the joy of that day, where they really placed their trust in God. They had no idea how their married life would unfold, whether or not they would have children. They didn't know the future, but they stepped out in faith, and they trusted in the grace that they would receive in the sacrament of marriage. And, you know, the Lord is with the married couples throughout their lives with his grace to be aware that he is the third partner in the marriage and how when you're open to God's grace, he helps you, gives you strength in good times and in bad, in Mm -hmm. sickness and in health, and to persevere with love, to be able to carry the cross when it's come. So I think um, with Valentine's Day, um, you know, we we think of Valentine's Day, it's kind of that romantic kind of love. Right. And that's good. I mean, it's a very pleasurable experience. You know when you fell in love, I'm sure. It's an emotional feeling. And I would call that the subjective aspect of love. And that's kind of what Valentine's Day is about. You know, you get chocolates for your uh, wife and things like that. You remember the romance of... um, courtship, etc. But when we talk about marital love, it's more than that. There's mm-hmm. another side, which I'd call it more objective aspect of love. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely essential if marriage is going to work, because that's something that endures even if your emotions aren't always as, uh, as strong as they were at the beginning or whatever. One of the expressions that I used to like in Italian, it was a way in which they said, I love you. I mean, usually in Italian, when you say, I love you, it'd be uh, ti amo. Okay. But they'd also say, ti voglio bene. Okay. Which means, I wish you good. Hmm. Ti voglio bene. And they'd always be saying that. I was like, I used to wonder, what do they mean? Why are they saying, I wish you, I wish you good, or I, I want what is good for you. Ti uh-huh. voglio bene. Well, you know, that's the deeper objective aspect of love. It's, hmm. That's authentic love. It's more than good feelings. It's more than emotions. It's more than romance. It's, it's, uh, it's not about what I can get out of the relationship. It's about desiring the good of the other, what's best for the other person. That's true love, looking outward towards one one's beloved and seeking what is best for that person. Hmm. And when you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church, that's what that's uh, that's how it defines love. It's actually a definition that comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. It says to love is to will the good of another. Hmm. To love is to will the good of another. So you might have powerful feelings especially early on in a marriage for your spouse or before marriage in your courtship, some of that can maybe wear off a little bit, that romance. Mm -hmm. But if you really love them, that means you're committed to them and to their good. 
And then, you know, I notice in Christian marriage, a husband and wife unite themselves, okay? And they go into it with the idea, we're going to help each other grow in holiness. That's a great way to begin a marriage. Mm -hmm. I heard of a custom of, in some places where a couple hold the crucifix while they're making their vows. I, uh, that's a really beautiful idea. Huh. Um, that they see their union with Jesus and his love as essential to their marriage. This deepening of their union, then raising children, it all involves you know, some sacrifice. Sacrificing one's own pleasures, one's own desires, one's own preferences. It includes serving one another. I think it's good, as you know, with Valentine's Day upon us, to think about true love. It's not just good feelings. It's commitment to seek what is best for the other person. Do you think that sometimes we do a disservice to the concept of love, maybe through movies and just the way we talk about falling in love? Like it's something that requires no effort. Like it's something that you accidentally did or couldn't help but do when the actual love actually takes effort and sacrifice and is not necessarily easy, but we, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, that romantic love is good, right? you know, so I don't want to say that's not a good thing. I think it's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. It's a good thing. Uh, it's not sustainable. It's It's not sustainable though. And it can be, it can lead to some selfishness too, because if one is just looking for those fulfilling of one's own emotions, they're going to get disappointed as years go on. You know, uh-huh. it's got to be more than that. It's, it can't be. It's kind of like also looking at the notion of Christian love as agape. Uh-huh. You know, that sacrificial, self-giving love of that we see in Christ. Right. Um, so it's, it's it then becomes a virtue. It's a real virtue. It's, of course, it's the greatest virtue. I mean, doesn't Saint Paul teach that? You know, he speaks about all the different gifts and charisms. He said, but the greatest are faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity, is mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. So for a good and holy marriage, that's really important. And it's also more than friendship. You know, it's two people who give themselves to each other. There's a real self-surrender here. Whereas if you have a good friend, you still keep your own plans, your own dreams, <laughs> your own preferences. <laughs> right. But now you have to think about somebody else and actually subordinate yourself to yeah. the other and also the children i mean it's not just about me anymore uh-huh. you know it's about my wife it's about my kids um so the primary reference point it can't be well it's what's my preference no you know that kyle mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's what it's all about your wife and your mm-hmm. kids that's the beauty of self-giving love that's and it's something really powerful so pope john paul used to call about call it the law of the gift And it's very odd in our culture because our culture is very individualistic. This idea of giving up one's own freedom and committing to someone else in this pretty radical way, giving of yourself, it's kind of countercultural today. And I think some people leave marriage because they they they're so wanting their own way Mm -hmm. that they they then they've learned that growing up that they some are just not willing or capable of that Mm self-giving that's essential to, to true marriage. 
Let's take a, a quick break, and when we come back, talk a little bit more about marriage and these wedding anniversary masses, and we'll get into listener-submitted questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, with tomorrow being Valentine's Day or the Feast of St. Valentine. We've been talking about relationships and marriage, and you were talking about self-giving love and that uh, making sacrifices, and not necessarily easy to do that and to live that in our marriages, especially when there's two people involved. So uh, maybe you can share a little bit more on that. Right. You know, what I think is important to realize is, you know, no spouse is perfect. Uh-huh. You know, if you go in expecting the wife's going to be perfect or your husband's going to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed. Right. I always think of marriage, when you get married, it's kind of like beginning this adventure of love. It really is an adventure of love. <laughs> but you learn. It's, it's not something I don't think that happens right away that you learn to sacrifice your own preferences. That might be a little challenging at times, um, giving up some of your freedom for the other person. It's kind of like as a priest, you know, I had to give up certain things mm-hmm. uh, after I was ordained. And, and also, of course, living a life of celibacy, there's a certain surrender that takes place. But when you look at marriage, I don't know of any perfect couple or couples that give of themselves perfectly. Um, right. You know, I don't think there's any perfect family either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the thing is, that we keep trying that okay you fall you make mistakes you mess up sometime as a husband or as a wife you just go back and say lord please give me the grace you know you go to confession sometimes husbands will or wives will stumble or be selfish Mm -hmm. um they'll hurt the other person maybe not intentionally but they can Mm -hmm. but if you really love the other you don't withdraw your love when that happens. So here's where forgiveness comes in. And Pope Francis will say this a lot, that uh, I'm sorry is one of the magic words in marriage. Uh, The other is please and the other is thank you. Uh Because we all have shortcomings and faults. We can hurt one another. Spouses can hurt each other. But it's important to rise above hurt feelings. It's important both to forgive and to apologize. I mean, after all, that's the way God loves us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, despite our many sins and our failures, God remains committed to us. Mm -hmm. He looks at us patiently. He looks at us mercifully. And he even loves us when we do things that hurt our relationship with him. So if that's the way God loves that's the way we're called to love as well. I think um, the Holy Eucharist is a big help here because when we receive Holy Communion, we receive divine grace. And when we go to communion, we approach the Lord with all our weaknesses, all our needs. Of course, we need to be in the state of grace. And the Lord gives us his life, his grace. This is what marriage is about. It's about giving and receiving to see a husband and wife, to see each other as a gift, a gift from God, and to love the other person as he or she is with all their imperfections, because that's how God loves us. And we see that love in the Eucharist. He gives himself to us in midst of, of our imperfections 
So anyhow, I think with Valentine's Day on the horizon tomorrow, uh, uh-huh. it's good to think about these things. Yeah, and I know a lot of times when I, I think about marriage, I've learned so much about marriage through theology of the body and talking about how men and women are created differently and equally and that they, uh, the, the union between man and wife has so much theological significance. I don't know if you be able to explain some of that. Yeah, I mean, there, it's so rich. I mean, it all goes back, uh, really, when you look at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis and the creation of man and woman. And remember when Jesus was asked about divorce, where the Pharisees asked him if it was permissible for a man to divorce his wife? Uh-huh. And how did Jesus answer? He answered with the words of Genesis, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then Jesus adds, therefore what God has joined together, no human being must separate. Hmm. So our Lord himself teaches us the indissolubility of marriage. It's permanent, it's a permanent union. It's not just because of the commitment that the husband and wife make to each other. It's the creator who makes the two one flesh, Hmm. you know? This was countercultural, by the way, even when Jesus said it, huh. because when he gave it this teaching, husbands were allowed to divorce their wives. Mm. And, you know, by the way, wives weren't allowed to divorce their husbands, but husbands could divorce their wives. That was so this teaching of Jesus, we think about how countercultural it is today. It was countercultural back then. Hmm. But the church, some people say, isn't the church going to change its teaching about the indissolubility of marriage or whatever? No, we have to be faithful to the words of our Lord. Yeah. Uh, we continue to teach this faith, the truth about marriage and its permanence, even if many people reject it. When you think about that teaching in the book of Genesis, where we read about how God made us male and female. He made us in his image. Mm -hmm. When we think about what does it mean to be created in God's image, I usually think about it means we have intellect, Mm -hmm. we have free will. Mm -hmm. But it was John Paul, you mentioned John Paul's theology of the body. He so beautifully taught another aspect of what it means to be in God's image. It's by the communion of the persons that man and woman have formed since the beginning. In other words, we become the image of God through the communion of love. God is love, and he created man and woman for love. Mm -hmm. He has called them to love, to this intimate communion of life and love in marriage. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. When you think about it, God himself is a communion of love, the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They live eternally in perfect unity. (laughs) And isn't this the mystery of marriage? God makes the two spouses one flesh. The vocation of every human being is love, but we see this vocation especially visible in marriage. Marriage is truly the icon of God's love for us, and it's a love that's permanent and indissoluble. So I think that's really good to, to, to think about. And when you read in, uh, if you don't mind me going on a little bit, sure. if you read on 
into the second chapter of the book of Genesis, where we find out, uh, well, first of all, God creates the animals and the birds, and God names them. But it says that they weren't suitable partners for the man. <laughs> Adam was fundamentally different from the animals. Adam was aware of himself. The animals weren't aware of themselves. Adam had self-determination. The animals didn't have self-determination. Adam could consciously choose his actions. The animals cannot. So he's fundamentally alone. Yeah. He's, this is all John Paul II's theology of the body. And what does God say? It's not good for the man to be alone. Uh -huh. I will make a suitable partner for him. So human beings were made for communion. So God created the gift of a woman. If man is to be fully himself, he needs a companion. He needs a partner. Now, in the mythical language of this ancient narrative of the book of Genesis, we read that while Adam was asleep, God took out one of his ribs and built it into a woman. He created another person whom Adam could love as God loves. Mm -hmm a person with whom he could become one flesh. So then Adam woke up from his sleep. He saw the woman. What did he say? This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I mean, he was enthralled by her. Mm -hmm. You know, he was no longer alone. So the man and the woman are gifts to each other. They're able to live together with and for each other. They become a gift to each other. They reflect the unity and life and love of the Holy Trinity. They receive the gift of fertility. Hmm. Their love can bear fruit. Of course, the blessing of children comes from this loving communion of husband and wife. So all this is, is very beautiful. Here we have the masterpiece of creation, uh -huh. man and woman. God did not want man to be alone. He wanted to have him to have a companion on the journey. And isn't it interesting how this is one blessing that original sin didn't destroy. Christian marriage was blessed by God with a blessing that can never be taken away. That's why we speak of marriage sometimes as the primordial sacrament. It wasn't destroyed by original sin. Although original sin did bring sin into the relationship between sure. man and woman. Uh, and then when Christ came along, beautiful thing is, in restoring God's original plan for marriage, he instituted the sacrament in the full sense, in that the sacrament now envelops the love of the husband and wife in the grace of God. Couples are able to grow in love. They can face the problems of life and the family with the strength that comes from God with his grace. They can overcome even the most difficult trials the selfishness that can threaten marriage. That's why prayer is so important in marriage and mm -hmm. family. I always say to husbands, you know, it's important you pray for your wife every day. And I say to wives, it's important you pray for your husband every day. Mm -hmm. And I say to children, pray for your parents every day. Yeah, It's great also when the whole family prays together as well. One concern I have in our culture today, which is a culture of the temporary and the provisional, is young people being afraid to get married, to make a permanent commitment. Uh, some are putting it off for many, many years. Right. And I think sometimes it's because they're afraid that 
their marriage might fail because mm-hmm. they see so much divorce around. And I just say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make this permanent commitment, this definitive commitment. Uh, just trust in the Lord and His grace. Be open to this beautiful vocation. So uh, I think Valentine's Day, great day to celebrate this gift of God's love, the gift of the sacrament of marriage. Yeah. If I could ask one follow-up question, you mentioned this kind of transition when Jesus comes into the picture. How does marriage change before and after Christ? Yeah, because with the redemption, we could speak of marriage as a natural reality. It's a, uh, okay. a covenant, but now we have the promise of God's redeeming grace, Christ's grace, which is adds something very, very significant. No, a comparison can be made. If you have a baptized person who marries an unbaptized person, which we do allow with a dispensation, it's not a sacrament, but mm-hmm. it is a real marriage, but it's not the sacrament of marriage. Okay. You need two baptized people to have the sacrament. So the sacrament, you know, we, we speak of how Jesus elevated marriage to the level of a sacrament. Mm-hmm. So it has the guarantee of his of his grace, his redeeming grace. And on that note, that's a perfect segue into our questions because our first question, it comes from a catechumen asking about that. So okay. when we come back, we will have these questions from our RCIA catechumen. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. We've got more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We uh, were talking about marriage earlier and the Feast of St. Valentine's coming up tomorrow. And we have a question from one of our listeners who's a catechumen participating in RCIA and preparing for marriage validation who writes, My husband and I are civilly married and he is a baptized Catholic. Together, we return to the church at the birth of our son in 2017. I have three questions for you. I'll just start with the first one. Our sacramental marriage validation is set for a Saturday in February before my baptism at Easter Vigil. If we cannot truly impart the sacrament of marriage upon each other until I am baptized, what makes the validation ceremony more than a sacramental marriage in appearance alone? Okay, so the questioner is a catechumen, Kyle. So the pers- the questioner is is not yet baptized, so uh-huh. is not yet a Christian, uh, if I understand this correctly. By the way, I think it's wonderful. Congratulations, welcome back yeah. to the church, to to your husband, and congratulations on the birth of your son. But I understand that um, from your question that um, you're married probably civilly married, but in a in a marriage that's not been recognized, yes, you said civilly married. Uh, so it's it's not yet it's not recognized by the church. So you need a validation. And it sounds like the priest or deacon will officiate at your marriage before your baptism, mm-hmm. which is fine. Uh, so your marriage will become valid. Now you'll need a dispensation because you're still unbaptized. Okay. You know, this, the woman's still unbaptized. So she needs a dispensation. 
or her husband needs a dispensation, I should say, uh, to marry yeah. an unbaptized person, which can't be granted by the bishop. Now, because the wife will not be baptized, it's not a sacra- going to be a sacramental marriage. Uh-huh. It's just that natural marriage that I spoke about a little while ago. It's still a valid marriage, but not sacramental. It will only become sacramental at the moment that she gets baptized at the Easter vigil. Automatically. It will automatically become a sacrament huh. at that point. So I think the question from the, the listener was, what makes the validation ceremony more than a sacramental marriage in appearance alone? Well, I guess I'd have to say it, it's, it doesn't make the, the, the ceremony a sacramental marriage. It, it it's just makes it a, a natural marriage. Right. It doesn't become a sacrament until she's baptized. Okay. Her second question is, why can a mass not be celebrated at our validation ceremony? We regularly attend mass. We do not allow mass at a wedding between a Catholic and an unbaptized person. It just doesn't, um, well, first of all, the unbaptized person could not receive Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. But not only that, all the prayers of of a wedding ceremony within mass speak of it as a sacrament. Right. And this would not be a sacramental marriage, so the prayers wouldn't fit. Okay. The third question is, since childhood, when I attended Catholic school, I always prayed that God would grant me baptism. When others have renewed their baptismal promises during Mass, I also have done so, knowing in my heart that I belong to God. Please explain how baptism of desire might apply to my life before I am baptized. I have been told I am a creature of God, but not a daughter of God. You are in my prayers. Grateful Catechumen. Another good question. Uh, it sounds like the catechumen definitely has the desire for baptism as uh-huh. a catechumen, baptism of desire. So, for example, when a catechumen, therefore, if a catechumen dies before baptism, we allow a Catholic funeral because they had that desire. Right. They had that baptism of desire. But it is true that a person becomes an adopted son or daughter of God at the moment of baptism. That's Mm -hmm. one of the graces of the sacrament of baptism. That's why baptism is so important. Receive the divine life. We're united to Christ. We become adopted children of God the Father. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. So what a joy it will be for this catechumen uh, to to, uh, receive all of those graces at the Easter Vigil. So thank you for your prayers, and and you will be in my prayers as well. So a baptism of desire isn't available unless it's the only option because of unforeseen circumstances maybe, but as long as the baptism by water is available, then that would be the baptism. And the baptism of desire is just something that is prior. You have the desire for baptism, but you're not actually baptized by desire. Right, right. Water's available. But there's probably, I mean, we've always kind of thought that um, that baptism of desire also has a saving, uh, how would I call it, A, a, a saving aspect to it. Sure. Yeah. All right. 
Well, you can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have some more questions, like one about tapping our chest during prayer. And will there be food in heaven? Got that and more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you've submitted. Kristen Westby from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne asked, I was wondering if you could explain the origin of tapping your chest during the consecration and whether or not words are meant to be spoken during this time as well. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Kristen. Um, Let me just say in the current celebration of the Mass, there are two times where we are to strike our breast as a liturgical action. It's prescribed. One is when we use the first form of the penitential rite, the confidior. Uh When we pray, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters. And later on, we say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Mm -hmm. We take our, we strike our breast. It's because this striking of the breast is a gesture of penance and admission, admission of sinfulness. Okay. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Mm-hmm. So we we tap our breast three times. That's an action, a pretty ancient gesture, by the way. <laughs> and then the only other time in the liturgy when someone does that is the priest when he prays the Roman canon, the first Eucharistic prayer. If you ever noticed, when he says the words, though we are sinners, we trust in your mercy and love. He strikes his breast one time. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, before the Second Vatican Council, before the reform of the liturgy, it was customary also to strike the breast when one prayed the Lamb of God. Okay, the Agnus Dei. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Okay. And... That was common. That's no longer prescribed, but I still see some people will do that. I mean, it's allowed, but you're not. It's allowed, but it's not part of the. Okay. Like if you're, if I was teaching um, RCIA or kids in catechism, I would not teach them to do it because. Right. But if someone's doing it, I'm not going to. You know, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> right, it. Right. Um, and there was another time before the 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 reform liturgy when you would say. At communion time, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. You would strike your breast at that point as well. Now, the caller asked the question about during the consecration. I don't remember that in the old liturgy, although I have seen people do it. So when the bells would be rung at the elevation of the host and the chalice, where people would strike their breast, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where that custom came from. I don't recall that being part of the rubrics in the Tridentine liturgy. I could be wrong on that, maybe one of the listeners. And then I don't know if it would really be a, a uh, I mean, if it's it's normally a symbol of penance, you know, of, of admitting one's sinfulness. Maybe at that point during the consecration, it would be more like a sign of, reverence or adoration perhaps 
or maybe one recognizing, I mean, maybe one saying to himself or herself, Lord, have mercy on me, mm-hmm. a sinner during the consecration. I guess that's possible. Mm-hmm. I usually say to myself, my Lord and my God, mm-hmm. when the priest elevates the host. Good reminder. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, this this idea of this practice of um, striking the breast, really, you see it in the early Christians. When you read some of the writings of St. Augustine and St. Jerome, they both talk about striking the breast, you know, and again, a, a sign of being sorry for one's sins. So this is a pretty ancient uh, liturgical gesture. I think also in the early church, when they pray the Our Father, I think sometimes they would strike their breast when they would say, forgive us our trespasses. Oh. Yeah. I remember reading that somewhere. Okay. Another listener asked, in Fort Wayne, homeschoolers are not allowed to play sports on their parochial school sports teams. Can this be changed? Thank you. You know what? I I don't really know how to answer that question. I think, you know, our CYO is is not a diocesan program per se. Oh, okay. It's a parish-based program. So I think it would be up to the individual parishes or parish schools, if the teams are sponsored by schools, whether they allow homeschoolers to play or not, or maybe it's a CYO rule, but the CYO is composed of parish representatives. Right. So it's really a question on the parish level regarding who they allow. It's, it was different in my former diocese. In my former diocese, the CYO allowed religious education students to play on the Catholic, uh, the parish teams. For example, if you were a Catholic going to a public school, but you were in religious education in the parish, you could play on the parish basketball team. Okay. But I don't think that's allowed by the CYO here. I don't think. I don't want to say for sure. So sorry, I'm not better answering that question. All right. Well, our next question might have a lot of people interested in this one. Will there be food in heaven? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, whenever I get questions about what life what? is like in heaven, <laughs> you know, I think we're entering into the area of speculation. Sure. Um, however, I mean, I, I'd say, first of all, we know that we won't need food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we will have glorified bodies, uh-huh. okay? We, um, I think one thing that kind of points that maybe we w- will be able to eat in heaven is Jesus in his glorified body after the resurrection, he, he ate. Right. Remember? Yeah. Um, of course, we have those images of Multiple heaven. times. Yes, multiple <laughs> times. Breakfast and uh, even prepared breakfast on the yeah. side of the Sea of Galilee. But also, isn't it interesting how Scripture speaks of, in the book of Revelation, about uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb in mm-hmm. heaven? So I think it's possible. Um, but we don't have to, we won't have, we'll have glorified bodies. We don't have to worry about things like digestion. <laughs> or, <laughs> or indigestion. Or, or discharge. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know... Um, we're in the area of speculation, but those are some things we can think about. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe, I mean, we'll, we will have bodies, okay? So we will have glorified bodies. So I think we will be able to eat, uh-huh. but I don't think we'll have to. Yeah. Um, 
the resurrection body will basically live off the soul and the soul lives off of God. Hmm. Um, who knows, for example, whether our bodies will have any organs and systems. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah. We should probably focus more on getting there than <laughs> what it's going to be like when we do get there. Right. But it's still fun to ask those questions. It is. It is. Another thing I wanted to mention that there is a Mercy and Mary retreat with Father Michael Gately coming up at St. Pius X Parish in Granger. That's going to be Friday, March 8th and Saturday, March 9th. It's a two-day retreat with several different talks from Father Michael Gately, uh, mass, adoration, benediction, book signing, uh, People can find out information at marianmissionaries.org for details or make a reservation. But uh, this all coming to the diocese is reminding me of, and I didn't realize it was this long ago, but back in 2014, you had asked the people of the diocese to do the 33 days to morning glory as a diocesan consecration. And I know our parish did that, and that was something that we did as a small group community with some other couples and stuff. So that maybe you could share a little bit about that uh, Marian consecration, why you wanted to do that, and then maybe encourage people to go to this retreat as well. Yeah. I didn't know about Father Gately coming. Uh, I'm glad. He's, he's excellent. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, he's the author of 33 Days to Morning Glory that we, we used back in 2014. I thought the Marian consecration uh, really bore a lot of good spiritual fruit from talking to people. Hmm. The reason I did it is, I, you know, I... I really learned, I remember Pope John Paul II would encourage uh, consecration to Mary. Mm -hmm. And I did it years ago as a seminarian, according to St. Louis Marie de Montfort. That's sure. the traditional one. And and it really was meaningful, but it, the language of the prayers for the 33 days of preparation and the meditations, I thought were a little challenging because they were written you know, so long ago. Mm -hmm. And then I came across this book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. And it was divided into writings, the 33 days of preparation. The one week was writings of, of uh, John Paul, another week Maximilian Colby, another week Mother Teresa, and another week St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Mm -hmm. And I just felt they were more contemporary and it would be actually more meaningful for people. Yeah. So, so that's why I chose that. And you know, a lot of small groups, like you mentioned, Kyle, would do it together or some individuals did it. Many, many more people than I ever imagined. There were several thousand people in the diocese who did it, and I was really happy uh, about that. So I hope people will go to that retreat at St. Pius X on on uh, March 8th and 9th because Father Gately is a very good speaker, and um, I'm intrigued by that uh, theme, Mercy and Mary. Mm -hmm. But he's written on this the, the, a lot about the Divine Mercy and St. Faustina. Mm -hmm but also a lot about the Blessed Mother. So I, I would imagine, especially, you know, this will be the Lenten season, it'll be a great opportunity and to have mass and adoration. That's, that's great. Yep. And I know when I did the 33 Days to Morning Glory, I learned so much about kind of Marian theology through that. And yeah. it was, I think, easy to understand and yeah and, uh, except the week of maximilian colby i got most questions about that yeah <laughs> he can be pretty heavy on some of his marian writings you didn't find his the most uh, difficult you remember it's been a while i'm gonna yeah, have to go back and look yeah. back at it again that this was the one where people would write questions to yeah. me um i mean i think they found like uh you know mother Teresa and john paul and even saint louis marie de montfort 
easier than the week with Maximilian Colby. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, if you haven't done it, if any listeners, I recommend it to get that book. You can do it. 33 Days to Morning Glory by Father Michael Gately. All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop, for taking some time out of your schedule and, and sharing with us and encouraging our marriages and those maybe that are thinking about marriage, encouraging them to go for it and not be afraid. Exactly. Uh, could we get a, a, an Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. The marriage theme continues on next week's episode of Truth and Charity. Our special guest will be Father Jake Runyon, Judicial Vicar for the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend, as well as Rector of Fort Wayne's Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Hear more about the Diocesan Tribunal's mission, as well as what makes a Catholic marriage special and unique. If you would like to ask Bishop Rhodes a question for a future episode, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. All of our 80 previous episodes are on the website too and available to download so you can listen anytime and anywhere. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>